Well, every year as we uh, anticipate a new school year, we try uh, to remind the church about why we do what we do, about what it means for us to be the church of Jesus. And most of the time when we do that, we try and review our church mission, which is to engage people who are disconnected from God so they delight themselves in Him through Jesus. And while this year has put a strain on the mission, uh, to be sure, we will continue to work hard at uh, finding delight in the person of God as we experience Him through His Son. And so the, the mission remains unchanged to help people connect uh, personally, theologically, and to draw closer to God by faith in Jesus. So this, this year, I suppose you might say, we're not going to uh, do uh, a review of the church mission, but uh, rather we're going to focus in a little different direction because there's, yes, there's been a strain on the mission, but there's probably been a bigger strain on uh, relationships, a bigger strain on uh, what it means for us to be uh, a church together. And so, I thought that it would be good for us to talk about what we should expect in our relationships with one another. And it turns out that uh, the church has a document that talks about that. Imagine. Uh, in fact, everyone who has become a member of the church has already agreed uh, to this document. We call it the church covenant. And a covenant establishes what kind of people we want to become and what kind of relationships we want to have with others. And so, just like a marriage covenant defines someone um, as uh, a husband or a wife, and several other new people as family, so a covenant defines the people we want to be around, or the people we want to be like. People who uh, are my tribe. And so we use the word covenant because uh, God himself establishes covenants with his people. He's done that over and over. And more than that, though, a covenant is a clear way to express commitment between people. That's actually like what a marriage covenant does or some other uh, covenants, they express the expectations. For instance, the, the marriage covenant has several provisions. It provides for times of sickness and times of health, times of prosperity and times of poverty. In addition, it promises exclusivity. In fact, even the duration of the marriage covenant is expressed, till death do us part. Our church covenant, likewise, has several provisions or components. It includes promises about, church, uh, about Christian living, about church involvement, about meaningful, engaging in meaningful relationships, 
and about uh, the mission or purpose of the church. And just like a marriage covenant restricts some of the things that you can uh, do or should do, uh, so a, a church covenant narrows the field of choices that you have with respect to um, the way you live your life. In other words, stated negatively, if you'd let me be negative for a second, um, you cannot live any way you want and be a member of the church because the reputation of Jesus is at stake with you. You cannot merely come and go as you please and still be a member of the church. You cannot stay aloof in your relationships with other people. You can't be unconcerned about what God is doing in the world because these are the things that define the church. Let me say it positively. I apologize for, for saying it in a negative way, but, but positively. You must, I must, we must obey Christ and follow Him as those who have been transformed by Him. We invest our time and our talent and our treasure to make the church of Jesus Christ successful, to, 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 to work at His kingdom-bringing mission in the world. What it means to be a follower of Christ, it means that we move toward other people. Because so much of what God wants to do in your life and in mine can be summarized in the, the passages that talk about one another in the Bible. In other words, there's no other way for God to do His work in you or do His work in me except that we're in relationship with other people. Now, no, no question it would be easier if that wasn't the case. But it is the case. And there's no more exciting or eternal way to invest your life than in the mission that Jesus is on. And so that's essentially what the church is about. And I don't want you to think of this church covenant as something that's exclusively for uh, New Life Church. Because we have simply tried to put in writing in our covenant what we think the New Testament invites everybody to. Every, the New Testament invites every believer to become a follower of Jesus who is fully engaged in Jesus' mission, who is in uh, thick, meaningful relationships with other people, who is giving their lives away for what He wants done in the world. And so... That's what we're talking about this fall, is really what we have tried to express as the thing that God wants for all of us. So the portion of the covenant that I have this morning deals with, the involvement, with our involvement in church, right? I was uh, on vacation the week that the rest of the staff chose the topics that they're going to uh, speak on, and I, according to them, got the short straw. I don't think it's that, but that's the way that they treated me, so that's okay. But the part of the church covenant that I'm talking about here is this. So this is how it reads. On the basis that we serve a covenant-making, 
covenant-keeping God. We joyfully and resolutely enter into a covenant community with one another. We promise by God's grace and through his indwelling, uh, the indwelling presence of his Spirit to, and here's the section that, uh, that we're talking about this morning, to care for and promote both the purposes and the unity of God's church through regular attendance, corporate and private prayer, ministerial service, financial giving, and by submitting to its spiritual authority. And while there are several pieces to that, I think it'd be most helpful, rather than try and go through the pieces of the church covenant, to go into the Bible and look and see what it says about how we should be involved with one another in the church. So I want to invite you, if you haven't already, to turn to the passage of Scripture that Lena read a few moments ago in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 has a description that's, it's frankly more beautiful than our church covenant. So that's another reason that we use the Bible instead of what we wrote, right? So that we have this expression of what God wants for His church. And this portion of Scripture, Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, suggests that really the church is only going to work when everybody does their part. That God loves the church so much that He has placed people, namely you, together so that we grow up into Christ. So the, the first thing that I want you to notice in these verses that have already been read is that God's aim is the maturity of the church. God wants the church to be moving in a certain direction. God wants the church to come uh, into a certain maturity. One thing is clear. God does not view the church as a club to join or an association that you might merely pay dues to. He sees the church as an organic living thing that grows like any other living thing, that changes like any other living thing. Notice the language that's used here about the church. Verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He talks here about the church en route to a destination until we all, it says in the ESV, attain, or another translation might be arrive. So we are, in a, we are on a journey together. We are moving in a certain direction until we get there. In that destination, look at the destination. It says the destination is the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. It is a maturity to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the, de the destination is that the church then becomes like Jesus. We are in process toward, together, becoming like Jesus. 
That's amazing if you think about it, isn't it? How attractive would that be to the world to have a group of people who together, who together live in such a way that they are marked not by the values of everybody else, not by the, the means or methods that everyone else uses to argue and fuss, but rather they are together looking like Jesus looks. That's a goal. Look at verse 15. He says it again. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is ahead into Christ. We are to grow up into Him into Christ. Our corporate correspondence to Jesus is the goal that God has for the church. Now that makes sense. We've already actually sung about it. Uh, it we, we've already sung when the bride, when we will see the bridegroom come. And that's an allusion to Revelation when there is this, this great culmination in this wedding feast when the, the bride of Christ, the church, actually has reached this maturity and uh, beauty and perfection so that it is a fitting bride for Jesus. That's His picture. And so the goal that God has for us is that we would move in that direction. And so that's what God is doing in the church. And frankly, I think He's been doing that for us. <laughs> I almost want to say He's been doing that to us. Because some of us have been against my own will, right? He's been, he's been making us have hard things that shape our character, that, that rub off the rough edges. Or I could say it another way. I think that when we're talking about growing into, the, uh, into Christ or into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, we're talking about something that is qualitative, not quantitative. In other words, it's not about making the church bigger. It's about making the church better. And it's the better that God is after. To grow the church to match the character of Jesus. And I don't know how you do when you look in the mirror in the mornings, but I know when I look in the mirror in the mornings, I'm not there yet. And when I see other people and I have a bad attitude sometimes, I'm not there yet. Which means that I'm in process, I'm on a journey, and we're all together on that same journey. Which tells me that God is not the God of the status quo. God is not interested in leaving you like you are, or leaving us like we are. Or say it another way, God is not the God of the way things used to be. He is the God of the way that things will be. And He is moving us there. And so He invites us into relationships, into a church community, into a group of people that He is at work in, that He is at work on, so that we are moving together toward Jesus. 
Then I want you to notice how that happens. He, he's very explicit here about how we make that kind of progress. We make that kind of progress when every person plays their part, when everybody does what they're called to do. Again, look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, the measure of stature of fullness of Christ. Until we all get there. What he's saying is that this Christian life, this, this participation in church, however it works, it's an all-skate. The music plays and we all get on the floor. Some of us you know, can't stand up, some of us can skate backwards. It doesn't matter. It's an all-skate. Everybody's in. There are not multiple classes, some of whom this is for and some of whom this is not for. This is not until the committed attain to the measure of stature of fullness of Christ or the deeply spiritual ones arrive. This is really for all of us to attain to the unity of Christ. We see the same thing at the end of this passage in verse verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it has been equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. Where every joint or ligament does its part In other words, unity is the responsibility of all of the parts. Namely, all of the people are responsible for this unity and this movement toward Jesus. Unity is held together by what every person does. And so this is just a a completely clear statement that the church belongs to everyone and everyone belongs to the church. Well, I am currently in possession of a body where certain parts, namely certain joints or ligaments, have decided to quit functioning. Um, Some of you remember me on crutches and with the brace not long ago. And it wasn't a very big part that decided to quit. It wasn't a major organ that somehow went down. It was just a little thing about the size of my pinky that just said, you know what? I'm done here. And now for about 40 years, I've missed that part dearly. There were some other parts. The surgeons tried to make do uh, the same job, and they couldn't, they couldn't bear it. They wore out. And so now I'm, I'm stuck, you might say. Because some parts aren't doing their part. But you don't need to have as many knee surgeries as I've had to know that every little part matters, right? All you need to do is get up in the middle of the night and stub your little toe. You stub your little toe and you get a very clear message that tiny parts are important. And they they do a job and they bring pain because they're important. 
Some of you have back trouble. I mean, the size of the disc that's bulging that causes you that pain, it's, it's not very big at all. But the impact is disproportionate if it decides not to do its job any longer. Well, the same thing is true of the body of Christ. I mean, some of you, I don't know, I don't think very many of you, are all hyperinflated and think your job's so important. Probably other things are more true, isn't it? Where obviously, well, I don't have anything to contribute. I'm not very important. You might be like that little disc or that little toe or that little uh, ligament that doesn't get much credit but is missed when it's gone. I... um, I'm just going to use some recent things that have happened with me, right? So some of you on Friday got an email from me uh, about the, the new uh, requirements for masks and things. And I'm just going to say, I had a really bad day on Friday. Um, I, I wrote that email before they even told me what was the actual requirement. Uh, I, I know that. I, I wrote you at 12.46. It was at 12.48 that I got an email telling me what the exact requirement was. And I'm, that was super frustrating to me. And so, I mean, I just slunk around all day. It was just awful on Friday. I told the executive team yesterday that I'd had a bad day, and they just laughed at me. Because that's their contribution to the body of Christ, right? To laugh at me. Seriously, they actually looked over that email before I sent it, so they did have a part in it. But it, it, was, it, was, it was really frustrating. And I, I just want you to know that there were some people, and I don't know why they did it, but a couple people just said, hey, thank you for the email. Thank you for the email. I got, I got that. Thanks for the way that you said what you said. And... It wasn't a big thing, right? It was just maybe a little pinky. I don't know. But it kept their pastor from quitting because that's just the nature of it. And it was nice that, that some people did their part. And they, it helped. I mean, they, everyone didn't have to write a dumb email. That, but people did their part. Other people had a different part. They actually knew where the law was and they did, I don't know if they'd seen it before I saw it or they saw it right after I saw it, but they said, hey, you know, there is something here, and they pointed me to it, and I appreciated that too. I mean, everybody had a part to play there. Friday, I also talked to somebody on the phone who, um, who actually does some repair work around the church. Now, that's a part. I'm telling you, that's a part that if it was only me, the whole place like fall down around us, probably, because that's an important part that, gets, that none of you even maybe know happens. And this person was just calling saying, how, how should I pay for this part of the repair? Which was great. We got a call about people asking about, you know, caring for children this coming Sunday. How are we going to do that? And I thought, that's fabulous. That might feel like it's not 
that big a deal, but they care enough for your children to ask the question and to say, I'm going to serve no matter what. I got another call. See, it generates a lot of action, right? I got another call from Shirlene who said, well, what about coffee? I hope some of you are enjoying coffee this morning, but what about the coffee? And I'm just going to tell you that um, if she didn't do her part, you'd probably miss it. Some of you would miss it. And the coffee was ready at 8 o'clock this morning. Uh, <laughs> people didn't get here till 9, but the coffee was ready because she was pretty sure she wanted to do her part. And it just, you know, there are all kinds of things, and those, some of those are things that happen in the church, but some of the things are the things that happen around the edges, the things that happen between people, the, the, the call or the, the prayer or the encouragement or the hang-in-there's. Those kinds of things matter. That's part of what it means to belong to a church is everybody helps everybody else move toward Jesus. And so God's got a goal and He accomplishes it when we all work together. The other thing that needs to be acknowledged from this text is that He gave some to be um, apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and pastors and teachers. There, uh, there is a, a, a role for church leaders. And that role for church leaders is that they equip the saints for the work of ministry. And the work of the ministry gets done because God's people do it, because the saints do it, not because the clergy does it. There is one of the historical names for, like, my job in the church is the minister. Okay, we don't use the minister around here. Because, because the ministers are all of us. Look at verse 11. It says, for this, um, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Welcome to the ministry. That's, what, that's how the church does this. And he, so he's designated some people to be the support system. Some people to be those who lift others up and get them involved or engaged, or encouraged, or trained, or recruited, or coached, or deployed in ministry. That's what Jesus, the chief shepherds, wants from those who are under him. Now, part of our church covenant acknowledges this and includes uh, submission to spiritual leadership of the church as part of the covenant. And I think it's worth stopping just to acknowledge that and to say that this past year has been difficult for many with respect for the need for submission. I know it's been super hard for me. And the need to submit is, I mean, essentially submission happens when you don't like the thing you have to submit to. That's really um, what submission entails. The leaders had to submit to other authorities, and so did the church. And I do want to say that as a church, you have really been wonderful about it. And that's, uh, I mean, I want you to know I appreciate that a ton. 
but it's worth stopping to mention here. Because if you look at the text here, there is a place for authoritative teaching. In verses 13 and 14, it appears that the chief problem is false teaching or craftiness or cleverness or deceit. It's like four different words for it in verses 13 and 14. In other words, wrong thinking is what keeps the church immature. That bad ideas are the things that are the blockers for the church becoming like Jesus. And so there is a place for authoritative teaching. There is a place in verse 15 for the truth to be spoken, but to be spoken in love. It's not, it's not spoken in, hey, I've got to figure it out and you guys need to get your act together. I mean, that's not any way to speak the truth. The way to speak the truth is, I, you know, I want the best for you. And that's what he's talking about there. But when we hear submission to authority, I think that we generally infer that that means that there's this carte blanche for authority to do something crazy and everyone else drink the Kool-Aid and go along. And nothing could be farther from the truth. There is nothing in the Bible to suggest that overbearing, abusive, sinful leadership is part of God's plan for the church and should be submitted to. That's not what it means here. I think what God wants is humble servant leaders who do their best to help the church become like Jesus. And when they do their best and the church submits, then we all do our best together to be like Jesus. This humble servant leadership is not leadership that somehow oppresses and pushes down the church, but rather leadership that lifts up the church, that says you are the ones who are doing the work of the ministry. You are the bride of Christ. You are the ones that Jesus loves so much that He gave His life. And I think the other kind of leadership, the one that we're worried about, is leadership that lifts itself up and pushes others down in order to get up. And that's not what God has in mind. He has in mind the leadership of the church coming alongside and helping and promoting and encouraging and uplifting the church so that they do the work of the ministry. Well, he does that. He catalyzes it with leadership. He does it through every person, and he wants us to move toward being like Jesus. But there's one other thing I want you to notice in this text, and that is that all of this happens in an atmosphere of love. Everything that happens in the church uh, happens in this atmosphere of love. This, this text, I was really struck by this, the text uh, could just talk, it could sound like a church covenant, right? Just blah, 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 blah. But it doesn't. It is uh, just thoroughly um, covered in love. It, it starts back in verse excuse me, in chapter 3, there is a prayer in chapter 3, verse 19, that, that prays 
that we all might know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. That somehow we're praying to know something that is so amazing that you can't ever know it. You never can plumb the bottom of the love of Christ, but I want you to know it anyway. That's what he's talking about uh, here and praying for. And then that love of Christ shows up again in chapter 4, where at verse 7, where Christ loves the church, gave his life for the church, conquered death, rose again, and the victorious Christ shows grace to the church and gives gifts. It's like the happiest Christmas day ever where Jesus loves the church and gives gifts and grace to the church. And so the love of Christ then is on display. Then as the church uses those gifts to build each other up, which is what 11 through 15 are about, and then the church speaks to one another the truth in love. We tell the truth to one another, but we do it in love. And then, the final word in the, in the whole passage, in verse 16, is love. Builds itself up in love. Which means that as each ligament, each person, each part we play, does its job Doing, doing your part is an act of love. Giving someone some encouragement is an act of love. Uh, so, you know, contributing is an act of love. Doing whatever it is you do for the sake of helping the church move toward Jesus is an act of love. And it comes because the loving Savior has given you the ability to see and to do those loving things. And so, it's an expression, and really the answer to the prayer, help us know the unknowable love of Christ. And so, I think all of it happens in this atmosphere of love. And so, I hope that as you look at Ephesians 4, um, that it's clear that God intends the church to thrive when everyone does their part and all together we move toward Jesus. Sometimes the part that we play is great. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's rewarding. Sometimes it's frustrating. But regardless of how it feels or whether I want to or how convenient it is or how happy I do, am when I do it, the church thrives when I do it anyway by faith in the risen Jesus, and we all become more like Him together. And so, I suppose I could just simply summarize it this way and say that the church, not just New Life Church, but the church of Jesus representing Him in the world won't become what God wants it to become without you. If you take the day off, if you decide I'm not important enough, or whatever it is you want to decide to say it's, I'm not in, 
then the church will be less than God wants it to be. Because he wants the church to reflect Jesus as everyone does their part. And I think that's a good place to leave it. That God would have all of us do our part to help each other become like Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that is really what we want. We really do want Jesus to be glorified. We want the church to be attractive like Jesus. And Father, we ask that you'd forgive us when we're not, that you would forgive us when we um, are less than we ought to be. But Father, would you by your Spirit just encourage us, help us even to encourage one another. And uh, I thank you for uh, the men and the women and the boys and the girls that are here today uh, who decided not to take the day off but to come and to be part of your uh, church as they uh, worship together. And so would you just encourage us and make us like Jesus, even as we continue our worship. We pray this in his name. Amen.